The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The Nasdaq's incredible comeback, whether it's a signal to start buying tech again. We'll discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Some members today making some big changes to their portfolios. You do not want to miss our trades today. Joining me for the hour, Jason Snipe, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, and Pete Najarian. He, of course, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. It's good to see everybody on this busy day. Let's take a look at where the markets currently stand, because they stand differently than they did an hour ago. NASDAQ pushing a 200-point gain right now. One and a quarter percent to the upside. A nice reversal there. Dow's down nine. Yields holding steady very much. The key part of the story today, 176 is the yield on the 10-year note. So, Pete... Jim Cramer said the following people, and this is what he did on Twitter. People are looking at the 10 year. If the 10 year stabilizes, buyers will come in and they certainly seem to be doing just that, Pete, in the Nasdaq. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Scott. I mean, look, take a look at the reaction. As a matter of fact, yesterday, how about that move where we reversed 400 points, give or take, and today now we're just adding to that. Uh, it's it's a remarkable move to the upside. People, you know, there is that fear of missing out sort of an idea as well, right? Everybody's looking at this and they're saying, look, when is my opportunity? People are looking at a lot of these names. There are so many names that have been absolutely beaten over the last couple of weeks, couple of months from those highs. And, and I think that's part of it as well. People are looking for opportunity and they don't want to miss the opportunity. So it seems like that's exactly how the, the, the evolution of this is going to be played out, Scott, is do they feel comfortable enough if there is stabilization in the 10-year, if we're going to hold for a little while, as, as Jim was referring to, then yes, I think that there are a lot of those names that were absolutely beaten down. Some of those names deserve to be down. I think there are other names, however, that, that were, were just brought down with the rest of them, and those are the names that are absolutely skyrocketing today. Okay, Jason Snipe, I'm wondering whether you think this is a sign that tech is bottoming, that we should start feeling better about what that area of the market is doing. Tom Lee said the following, the market reversal in our view is the most important development in the past 24 hours. Monday's reversal is a sign that sellers might be done selling or more simply the deleveraging associated with Fed hikes might be nearing the end. Is that how you see it? As J.P. Morgan's Marco Kalanovic also says, near term, we recommend buying the dip. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's a great point by Tom. You know, I think it was very encouraging to see the Nasdaq bounce off that 200 day yesterday. I mean, that was a quite a quite a turnaround. And also watching the Fed commentary this morning and obviously looking at the minutes last week. I mean, last week, obviously, it was concerned about the tone, you know, and, and that the Fed was looking to be more hawkish. And I think that, you know, if you look at what what Powell is talking about today and saying, OK, maybe shrinkage of the balance sheet might not be on the docket. We're still trying to figure this out. It's going to take a long time. Um, that path to normalcy is going to take some time. So I think the, the market is responding well to that. I don't think my, my, my 
tone hasn't shifted on non-profitable tech. I think those are still difficult trades. But I think the, the, the mega tap areas, you know, Microsoft was down almost 6% last week. I think those are areas and opportunities uh, to buy. You know, so I, I agree with Tom's point here. I'm looking at a number of stocks, Josh, that are so far off of their 52-week highs. And I know they're the ones we talk about all the time, but they're so relevant in this kind of environment. It's a Peloton, a Pinduoduo, a Zoom, DocuSign, Baidu, Moderna, a Biogen. All of those stocks are at minimum, at minimum 50% off of their 52-week highs, and in Peloton's case, some 80%. So as we look at this reversal in the NASDAQ, we see some follow-through, at least at the moment, and we wonder whether that trade is now bottoming. I want you to listen to what Paul Tudor Jones said earlier today on Squawk Box about valuations in the NASDAQ and where they may need to go. And we can react on the other side. Here's PTJ. If you just think about where we were again, the last time the unemployment rate was here, um, the PE in the NASDAQ was around 26 or 27. It's 38 today. So assuming fast forward and we're back at 2% on Fed funds and two and a half or three on 10 year rates, What's the multiple on the NASDAQ going to be? Is it going to still be 38 on a trailing basis? Or is it going to be back at 26 or 27? And if so, obviously that has huge consequences. It is, Josh. It is, Josh, the most, I think, important question, whether you should feel comfortable buying some of these stocks here or we still have a re-rating to go in valuations. How do you see it? Well, I, I don't... I don't want us to have two different conversations. Peloton doesn't matter. It's a $12 billion market cap. It's not even in the NASDAQ 100. Um, I don't know what the multiple on that stock should be, but it, it, honestly, it's not going to affect anything. The question becomes, do the five stocks that are 25% of, of, uh, of the S&P 500 that we talk about all the time, do they have valuation support? And a funny thing happened last year. It's not as though the prospect of the Fed normalizing policy was like a pipe dream that nobody was taking seriously. In fact, earnings growth last year was explosive and the multiple on the S&P started contracting. The multiple on the S&P contracted by like 7%. Earnings growth was 40%. That's how you get a plus 30% year. You throw in dividends, total return. So we've already been doing this process of, of multiple contraction for over a year now. That's in progress. The market is not stupid. It understood at some point that we would not be doing stimulus every month and that soon after there would be liftoff in rates. And as I have said on the program repeatedly, nobody's base case should be that the Fed is in a rush to invert the yield curve and destroy the stock market. That's not in anyone's interest politically, financially, from a monetary. So I think what the Fed said today, the most important phrase relating to multiples and what we were just talking about, quote, a long road to normal. This is exactly what Mm -hmm. you want to hear them continue to say. They understand the direction they need to go. They're listening to Americans. They're pretending to take Congress seriously. They understand the racial issue, all the stuff. They, They got it. But... There's no gun to their head right now to do anything other than this gradual normalization that they've been signaling forever and a day. So if you can keep yourself cool 
In a market like last week, the NASDAQ lost a trillion dollars in valuation. If you can remain calm, you're going to be fine. If you overreact to the latest thing that comes out from a Fed minute or whatever, you're going to chew yourself up. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yes, this is a so standing desk, by the this, way. The, I'm very physically the, fit. The long, <laughs> the long road to normal um, is the point that Powell is trying to that's make. That's their quote. Today. And maybe that's, yeah. And, and maybe, Steph, that is easing <laughs> the way investors are feeling about, you know, the market. I mean, we're going to be, as Kramer said, as I mentioned at the top, sort of, you know, hostage to, to rates. If rates think the Fed is going to be more aggressive than it's ready to accept, rates are going to continue to rise. If they can focus on what Powell says uh, today, for example, then maybe rates are going to continue to hold steady, which, which they are today. Now, that brings me to something that you did in the market, Steph, which um, obviously caught my eye and I purposely saved you for last in this conversation because I wanted to give our viewers a chance to take it all in before I mention a move of yours that frankly surprised me a lot and I, th I think will surprise some other members of the panel too. You sold Alphabet. I know it had a huge gain last year. It was up 65%. And it's as much of a reopen trade as there is in the market. Um, why did you choose to take profits in Alphabet, Steph? Because I had a lot of profits, up 65% last year. You have 98% of the sell side has buys on it. Pretty much 100% of portfolio managers that are core or growth own this thing. So I don't know who your incremental buyer is. And it's not expensive at 24 times, but I took that money and I put it in, into, into Meta, Facebook, which is trading at 22 times, growing at 25 to 20 to 30 percent. Really strong momentum in DAUs, daily average users, monthly average users. I like the whole transparency change, separating Meta from their core businesses. I think that'll get them a re-rating. They have a $50 billion buyback underway, and it has lagged the FANG name. So now the only FANG names that I own at this point our Meta, which is a huge position for me, and Apple. And you know I was buying more Apple uh, on Black Friday, uh, and I'm just trying to be more selective within tech. Now, the big question you're asking is, should you be buying tech? I think there are pockets of tech that you should be buying, not all blanket of, of tech. Pockets like enterprise recovery spending, the stories that I have been talking about, HPE, Cisco, Broadcom. I am overweight in a big way in semiconductors, and those are ones that I would add to because they're down 6 to 9% from their highs, and they're trading anywhere between 19 and 21 times. So that, again, is Broadcom, that's NXPI, and LAM Research. Their end markets are very strong, and so that's where I'm buying, and I will continue to buy more Facebook if it should uh, pull back. But I just want to um, highlight one thing. I think the market is rallying because of Jamie Dimon's comments yesterday. He said that the markets are separate from the economy, and to, the, to some extent that's true, and I would agree, but the markets are going to be volatile given interest rates. Do you want to own long-duration assets if rates go higher? Powell is telling you rates are going to go higher. That's number one. Number two, the economy. He talked about the economy being strong. Who better? to see the economy doing well than Jamie Dimon. And what he did highlight was the consumer, which is two-thirds of our economy. As you know, I've highlighted this many, many times. But just a couple of things that he mentioned. Balance sheets are strong. Spending is 25% above pre-pandemic. Consumers have $2 trillion in checking accounts, so pent-up demand. They're paying down debt. 
jobs and wages we know are strong. Businesses, he also said, are flush with capital and cash generation. So I think the reason why the markets are rallying is because people feel better. The economy is doing better, even though all of us have been talking about it. But he is the one in the know. And the Fed, as a result, should normalize policy. Do they do it slower or faster? I don't know. But they're going to do it because they can and they should. Okay. I want to kick around this alphabet sale, and I want to start with Josh, because I can only imagine the, the thoughts that you must have on it. Um, I do believe you own it. I think it's been the stock out of the fangs that you've probably talked about the most in the last year, if not two years, tied to the recovery. What do you make of the idea that Steph sold it for the reasons that she did? She's going to buy it back over 3000 this year. Remember I said that. <laughs> No, I won't. Actually, I won't. You will. I'll buy you more will Facebook. Because, because I'll tell you what. No, no you no, will. I won't. Because, when, because the reason it breaks out. It's not that big way, in my benchmark. There is, it's, okay. There's a massive technical breakout setting up. Uh, 29.50 is the trigger. Um, the stock's been consolidating for, for quite a while, back to September. Uh, so almost five months now. And if and when it takes that level out, it will be because of probably the way that if you think about what generally drives a stock, it's not new product launches or anything like that, it's earnings reports. And I think when, when you consider the, the, the menu laid out before them of what they're gonna be doing over the next year, and you consider that this is the only company, publicly traded company, that has eight separate businesses, each of which is a billion or more in revenue per year, all of these levers to pull, um, and if they do anything, anything like, for example, making Waymo ready to be a standalone company and a spinoff to existing Alphabet shareholder, anything like that, this stock is gone, gone. So I would say that Stephanie probably will come back to this name. I won't, I won't say anything no, bad I'll about her doing that. That's okay. I'll come back to this okay. name. I'll I'll come back to this name if it's at 2,500, 2,200, 2,000, but I'm not going to chase it to 3,000 because I think there's Steph, more P upside ratio, P ratio in, 27, in meta. 27 times, 40% revenue growth, 27 I, times earnings. You're going to tell me Meta is a better deal? I didn't deal? say anything about the valuation. I didn't say anything about the valuation, Josh. In fact, if you listened, I said 24 times earnings is not expensive. I just think this is a relative, this is a relative game that I'm playing in terms of investing relative to my benchmark. It's only 2% of my benchmark. Facebook is bigger. Facebook actually, I think, has more upside. And it is much more controversial. And that's when you make money. And so I'm trying to buy low and I'm trying to sell high. And I think that I'm going to be justified in that. I'm not going to pay up $3,000 so, for, for Alphabet. I can promise you that. Let me, uh, let me bring the others in. Let me bring the others in. Pete and then Jason. But go ahead, Pete. Yeah, I would approach it a little less aggressively, and I would say that I, I, I understand why Steph is raising capital somewhere, but I don't know that I would want to raise the capital to buy more Facebook, which, by the way, I, I love that buy. I do think it's a cheaper stock. They have great free cash flow. They are controversial, but yet... All the company does is seem to be able to pull back and then go higher, pull back and then go higher. And I think that's been the beauty of what we've seen out of Zuckerberg over all these years now. How many times have we seen him in front of Congress or whomever and, and, and he, the stock gets beat up a little?
little bit, and then it goes right back up and then establishes new highs. I like that side of it, but I don't like the idea of even getting out of this name. I think there might have been other names that I would have chosen only because, and it's not a criticism at all of Steph, but only because it is inexpensive. They do have great fundamentals. They've got incredible free cash flow, and I, like Josh, do think it's going higher. I don't think you're going to get the chance at those lower levels. Maybe it'll happen. It might. Maybe it does get to 2500 2200 as you said, Steph, but I think when I look at it right here, I just I would have such a difficult time getting rid of this stock right now because the fundamentals are so strong and they're only going to get stronger as we get further and further into this year and next. So that would be the only reason I would have probably looked somewhere else to get those 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 funds that I'd want to be able to buy other stocks. Jason Snipe, give me something on this and then, Steph, I promise I'm going to give you the last word. Um, the beauty of the investment committee is you guys debate, discuss. If everybody's in agreement, yeah. what kind of committee is that? So, Jason Snipe, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So for me, I wouldn't characterize this as a swap. I don't. I don't think that's what Steph is doing. I, you know, from a portfolio management perspective, I can respect it. You know, but but I'm definitely in the camp where I think both of these companies have secular tailwinds, obviously. You know, and, and if I look at Facebook and kind of the argument for Facebook and being a controversial company and heading into an election year, yeah, I think it's I think there's some runway there. I think they will continue to move and grow. Um, you know, but for me, if I'm kind of looking at our portfolio, Google probably likely wouldn't be the one that we are taking some cash off the table to fund fund um, fund some you know, extra capital in, in Facebook. So, you know, but but th- but that's, you know, from our from our portfolio perspective and not knowing exactly how the benchmark her benchmark is being managed. So that's that's my stance. Oh, OK. Here. That's fair. Steph. Well, it's a popular long on the buy side and the sell side. Uh, that's that would be alphabet. Um, it is not expensive. I will reiterate, but I am never going to apologize for taking a 65 percent gain just last year alone. I've owned this for years. And I think now is the time to put more money into something that's cheaper, that's still growing, that's buying back so much of their shares. Yeah, OPEX and CAPEX are probably going to be high. I mean, they're going to spend $10 billion on Meta just you know, this year, right? Over the next several years, that number is going to go much higher. But I like that they're investing for the future. And again, I think the controversial part of it is very appealing to me, which is why it trades where it does. And so there's plenty of other technology names that I can add. And so I just felt like raise a little cash and also put more money into something that I have even more conviction in. All right. That's good stuff. I, I really enjoy the debate. I, and I know it's helpful to our viewers. I, I do appreciate that. Let's bring in our headliner now, Brian Belsky, BMO's chief investment strategist. Brian, welcome back. Thanks so much for having us. Happy 2022. Yeah. And same to you. Look, I don't need your opinion on Google, but I do need it on big tech and maybe tech at large. Do you feel like the bulk of the selling is now over? We do. Uh, you're probably not surprising to hear that, but not all tech stocks were created equal, just like people. And we've done a lot of work on this. In fact, we're publishing a report after the close on Thursday that goes through every single sector uh, in the S&P 500 and fractiles out performance with respect to high multiples. And the market's done a good job taking out these high multiple, more expensive stocks. That's number one. Number two, with respect to tech, Uh, You know, the market, I think, still does not appreciate how consistent earnings have become in tech. Now, let me just take you back. Over the last 10 years, the technology sector in the S&P 500 has become the most consistent earner in the entire market. 
And we believe investors are going to continue to pay for that consistency. It doesn't mean that they're going to pay for these multiple times sales companies. I think they're going to continue to pay for structural tech, secular tech, and on dips, cyclical tech. So we'd clearly be buying the dip longer term. It's one of our favorite sectors over the next three to five years. Over the next 12 to 18 months, we're a little bit more cyclically positioned. But tech in general, we think, is, is still very disinflationary longer term and will continue to drive the earnings of the S&P 500 for several, several more years. Tell me why your target of 5,300 for the end of this year is, is still intact against a backdrop of potentially four rate hikes from the Fed. Great question. Uh, we've proven in our research over the years, and we published this in our year ahead piece in November and several times last year, actually right around this time a year ago when we had the last kind of uh, yield scare. This year's a little different than last year because the Fed's actually taking away from the punch bowl. But markets can, will, and should go up when interest rates go up. Interest rates go up because the economy's improving. Stocks lead earnings, which lead the economy. That's exactly what's going on with respect to the traditional formula, Scott. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to be bumpy. As the market transitions to more of an earnings-slash-fundamentally-driven market, history shows that returns are much more volatile. That's why our theme for 2022 is prepare for the second derivative. Second derivative in terms of price performance, earnings growth, valuation spikes, and yes, inflation. So we still think that 5,300 is very doable. We think financials, obviously, as you know, has been one of our favorite sectors for a while. Stephanie talked about how important consumer discretionary is, another one of our overweight sectors. But I think in terms of an area that nobody's talking about that could garner some both value and consistent growth investors would be industrials. Industrials underperformed last year. We think it's a great opportunity to add to the, at these levels, especially as we start to see a supply glut in the second half of the year and we start to work through a lot of these supply chain issues. Let me ask you this. So you, you made the comment a few moments ago that stocks can go up when, when rates go up, and history has certainly proven you correct. However, you need to have an adjustment first before that happens. And what if I say to you, well, what happens if some stocks and a big basket of them went up too much when interest rates were as low as they were. And thus, you're creating a much larger adjustment that needs to happen. I bring you comments from David Costin, very well respected over at Goldman Sachs. The single greatest mispricing in the U.S. equity market is between companies that have high expected revenue growth but lower negative margins, and on the other hand, high growth companies with positive or very significantly positive margins. That gap has adjusted dramatically in the last year. In other words, you need a big reset before you can get to some sort of normalization so that your thesis proves true that rates and stocks can go up together. A couple things on that. Obviously, Mr. Costin is often what he, awesome at what he does, and he's right. I think the problem uh, with, with a lot of these broader statements is the stock market is a market of stocks. And if you take a look at price performance, earnings, earnings growth, in valuation, standard deviation environments in every single sector of the market has increased dramatically. That tells you you need to focus more on the stocks and less on the sector. I think too many investors are making index-level type decisions and sector-level decisions, and you really should be a stock picker. With respect to the margin comment, you know, margins peaking was a very bearish type of call back in 2009, 2010. I remember that. That didn't work out very well. If you take a look at earnings growth uh, over the last 60 to 90 days, it's incredible no one's talking about this. And in fact, 
Earnings for, for the fourth quarter have gone up 120 basis points the last 60 days. Earnings for, uh, for the, the average earnings growth rate in terms of increase over the next four quarters have gone up 60 basis points. That doesn't sound like uh, margins are peaking to me, but that, that, what, what that means is you have to be very stock specific and pay for consistency. That's why the secular growers in tech make so much sense. That's why the big money center banks in terms of scale make sense. That's why some of the brand name consumer discretionary names in the United States make sense. That's why I think they continue to believe that those stocks are gonna drive the US market. I'm gonna make that the last word. Brian, I appreciate your time so much. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot. All right, that's BMO's Brian Belsky making his case. 5,300 on the S&P by the end of 2022. All right, we're going to do one thing before we get to a a break here. And it's a move that Josh has made, um, which I think is interesting, too. And maybe it is surprising, maybe not in the same vein as Stephanie selling Alphabet, but Josh selling Starbucks, another taking profits. Raises my uh, eyebrows. Why did you take profits in this one, Josh, and sell it? So uh, longtime viewers will recall Starbucks was one of the names that I bought into the teeth of the pandemic um, last spring or two springs ago now. So 2020. Uh, So I'm past the I'm basically I'm, I'm looking at comps and I'm looking at, you know, what what growth could be here. Um, and obviously things get much more challenging now than they were coming out of the pandemic. Most of the stores have reopened. Most of the foot traffic has returned, and they did a really great job. So shareholders should be very happy with the way that this company uh, navigated through that period. That period's now over, and now basically I have Starbucks occupying a spot in my portfolio without a ton of growth from here. Uh, I think the stock is fine. Um, but I need to make room for something else in the same category. So similar to what Steph had to do, now, uh, to be honest. Are you going to have to buy it? I was waiting for Steph to chime in and say that you're going to buy it back at 120. <laughs> 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 you, didn't, you didn't give me a chance. <laughs> yeah, do it. I know say the it. delay kind of ruins that, but touche. Touche. <laughs> All right. Uh, you, you do have you, – you do, Josh, have some other – um, significant moves that we uh, need to mention as well. We're going to do that on the other side of the break. So I want everybody to hang tight. We'll get to those. Pete's got some cool stuff going on as well. We'll see you uh, right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. On Capitol Hill, Dr. Anthony Fauci slamming Senator Rand Paul for new attacks on his handling of the pandemic. This during a Senate hearing on the U.S. COVID response, Fauci says that Rand is distorting the truth. What happens when he gets out and accuses me of things that are completely untrue is that all of a sudden that kindles the crazies out there and I have life threats upon my life, harassment of my family and my children with obscene phone calls because people are lying about me. And on the news tonight, rethinking the role of the CDC in setting COVID standards and the possible need for better mask options. That's tonight at 7 Eastern. United Airlines, meantime, canceling some flights due to COVID-related worker shortages. The carrier says that about 3,000 of its employees currently have tested positive for COVID. However, none of those workers are currently hospitalized. United says that its vaccine mandate has saved lives. And Major League Baseball and its players union may finally be getting to the bargaining table. ESPN is reporting that the two sides will hold a bargaining session on Thursday. It'll be the first such meeting since the league locked out players more than a month ago. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Spring training not that far away. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. All right, let's talk about some of these moves, Josh. Um, let's talk about a, a couple of buys first, and then we'll deal with a sell. Dutch Brothers Coffee. Why'd you buy that? B-R-O-S is the ticker. So, my, so this is a name that I watched it go public. I learned a little bit about it. I, had, I forget where I was, but I had seen one of their locations. And they're not really stores. They're more like stands, right? Um, I had seen one of the, the locations and just a line of cars waiting. And I was like, what is that? And then they went public. And I forgot all about it. It was a hot IPO last summer. I forgot all about it. My friend Ron DeRushkin down in Florida reminded me, you ever keep an eye on that Dutch bros. So um, I looked back at it. This stock, this stock to me could be the start of like one of the next truly great quick service brands. They're not competing with Starbucks. I think a lot of people have that wrong. Only 16% of their sales are hot coffee. What they're really doing is a phenomenal job at building a relationship with customers, leaning in on service, and getting people through these drive-throughs very quickly. And the energy drink is the star of the show. It's, it's called uh, Blue Rebel, and there are several variations on it. It's crack. It's like caffeine and Hawaiian punch, and people can't stop drinking it. In addition, they're getting into a lot of new geographies. There are 500 stores, and they're talking about doing 4,000 of them. And they're small footprint stores, so it is realistic. Um, the only real challenge here seems to be hiring. 14 straight years of same-store sales going up. That's almost unheard of. So it's a 30-year overnight success story. New name to the market. Not a lot of people know about it. I have a small position. I anticipate being able to add some lower if market volatility continues. I relish the opportunity for this stock to come in. I will keep buying. I'm very excited about this company's prospects. Okay, watching it rise uh, as we speak. Now, another new buy from you on Holdings, O-N-O-N. Tell us why. You ever see these shoes in the wild? Have you seen the the on cloud (laughs) shoes, Judge? You have. Do you own a pair? I have. I don't. You do. You do own a pair. You don't. You will. This is my no, second prediction them, for you guys today. Okay, Stephanie will buy Google higher. 
Scott Wapner <laughs> will work out in a pair of on-cloud sneakers. Listen, Swiss company also went public last year. Also went public last year. Roger Federer is very involved, very involved. And if you think about this category, it's been a very long time since a new athletic footwear company has come along and really done any sort of damage to the prevailing uh, giants, Nike and Adidas. I'm not saying on will eat meaningfully into their market share. They don't need to. They can just grow at the rate they've been growing. Anyone that sees you wearing this sneaker will stop you on the street and say, what are those? I keep seeing those. What is that brand? That brand is on. The ticker symbol is O-N-O-N. Uh, I think it's a, it's a really interesting uh, new brand. They're crafting this very tight relationship with their customers, a la Lululemon. But at the same time, they're being sold in high-end department stores like Nordstrom. So, again, new position. Don't have a lot of it. I'm not an expert. I'm learning about it as I go. And if the market pulls back, I will add to this one as well. Okay. Now, you did sell something that I believe at the time you bought it, you said you might not be in it for all that long. I, I can't remember the exact language you used. Not necessarily sure it was for a trade, but I think you made the point that you weren't going to potentially be in this for a long time. It's Coinbase. You've sold Coinbase. Why? Yeah. Listen, this is a lot of Josh Brown in this segment. Thank God Weiss isn't here today. He would be triggered. Uh, <laughs> coin. I got stopped. <laughs> you, know, you know it's true. Uh, <laughs> I got stopped at a coin. I was wrong. When I bought it, I basically said, I have no valuation support here. And I said, I'm buying it for a trade, but I'm not willing to let this thing get out of hand. So 10% stop loss, I got hit. You're not going to be, uh, you know, 10 for 10. It's, it's unrealistic to think that. So you have to have some kind of risk management in place when you're doing trades. So coin did not work out for me. I still think the stock will work so long as crypto remains strong. And I may get into it in the future. But I, I lost on this one, and that's okay. All right. I just want to mention Dutch Brothers, by the way, uh, is part of CNBC's Next Gen 50. Uh, so that's something to keep in your back pocket. Ooh. Also want to get your opinion, Josh. I mean, this is even more Josh Brown. This is like um, your Super Bowl today. Oh, Shake Shack. <laughs> up I'm not huge. Busy, so let's go. On their results. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Give me something on the shack. <laughs> I don't understand why this stock got into the 60s. It, it honestly, the way this stock trades makes no sense relative to the fundamentals, uh, because the company is executing. And, and through the pandemic, they could not have done a better job making sure financially that the balance sheet could withstand it, and then converting stores to different uh, footprints, walk-up windows, drive-throughs uh, are now coming on. So they're doing everything right. The app is on fire. I don't understand why the stock is the price that it's at. I think it is uh, out of all the names I own, I think it is the most fundamentally misunderstood stock relative to how well the company is doing. So I'm happy to see that they were raising guidance. They, they, they talked about $203 million in revenue for the quarter versus $190-something million expected. And similar to a lot of other companies in the category, the only challenge right now is finding enough help between uh, people opting to start their own businesses or retire early uh, and COVID, it's really hard to keep stores open and staffed. But who's better at staffing than Danny Meyer? So I'm not worried about it. I think the company will be fine. And it, I, I really don't understand why this thing has a seven handle. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. Randy Garuti, by the way, the CEO of Shake Shack, is going to be on the closing bell today for a CNBC exclusive interview. <laughs> That's three o'clock 
Eastern time, so you don't want to miss that. All right, Fed Chair Powell has wrapped up his testimony in his reconfirmation hearing on Capitol Hill. Elon Moy joining us now with the headlines. Hi, Elon. Hi, Scott. Well, Powell delivered a robust argument to lawmakers for why the Fed needs to start normalizing its monetary policy stance this year. He spent a lot of time discussing the relationship between inflation and employment, framing this as reining in higher inflation is the best way to ensure a long and enduring economic recovery that then generates maximum employment and brings all those missing workers back to the labor force. Notably, he said that the economy no longer needs or wants the Fed's highly accommodative monetary policies and that 2022 is going to be about getting back to normal. Now, politically, we did hear several Republican senators say that they plan to support his nomination as Fed chair. That's going to be important because just this morning we learned that another Democratic senator, Ed Markey, plans to vote against Chair Powell's confirmation because of concerns about uh, how aggressively he might tackle risks to financial stability from climate change. That makes four Democratic senators who now say they oppose uh, Fed Chair Powell's renomination. So he's going to need this bipartisan support in order to get confirmed. But, Scott, we do expect for him to receive it. Back over to you. All right. All right, Elon, I appreciate the update there. Elon Moy for us down in Washington, D.C. Still ahead, more fun ahead. Jason Snipe, he has a new buy in his portfolio. He's going to give a stock summit, stock summit picks two. And two days in a row I did that. We're back right after this quick break. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, before we get to Jason Snipes' summit picks, we do have another new buy uh, for him, uh, the XLE. A lot of people like energy, and you're one of them. Yeah, absolutely. So, Funny, XLE, we, we traded out of it actually last year, summer of last year, and obviously energy was up 50%. I think this is a simple demand story, demand just outstripping supply, you know, commodity prices, I think will moderate at some point, but, you know, complete demand story here. So it's obviously run up a lot in the first week of the year, up almost 10%, you know, so, but yeah, we added it at the, the end of last year and we'll kind of see, see what it does for this year. Okay, uh, let's go summit now. Um, Your number one pick plays right into this story. And I do believe it was on Stephanie's summit list as well. Chevron. 
Yeah. Yeah, so for me, Chevron, Chevron's just got the cleanest balance sheet in the in the industry industry, fully graded, fully integrated oil company. Really like the uh, the the management team there, the leadership there, you know, four four point three, four point two eight percent yield. Um, you know, really done a great job and from cost containment perspective. You know, I, I really like Chevron going forward. If we're if we're gonna be in energy, I think Chevron is the one to own. Also, 7% Kager since 2005. So I really like this name here. It's really disappointing that Farmer Jim is not here today to hear this next pick because he, mm-hmm. you know, he's probably needed a wingman <laughs> in this stock. It's been hard to come by. A lot of people don't like it. Qualcomm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So Qualcomm, yeah, Jimmy, kudos to you, man. Uh, Qualcomm, great name. Obviously, I think they're they're trading at a discount in, in comparison to all the other semis in the space. But Qualcomm was was consolidating most of last year. I mean, we have to remember it started. It really caught a bid late last year, up about 25 percent. You know, they're continued be- benefit from the 5G story. You know, obviously, the litigations behind them, all the licensing patent deals that they have. But I really like what they're doing in the auto space. The deals with Volvo. Uh, the deal with Honda, the deal with BMW, you know, from an infotainment perspective, I really like Qualcomm here, and I think they'll continue to benefit uh, from what's going on in the industry. Okay. Your final individual stock pick is PNC Financial. Yeah. Yeah, so obviously we've, we've talked a lot about tightening and the Fed story, and, you know, obviously they're committed to raising rates on the short term end. PNC is obviously has some sensitivity, um, you know, to to the yield curve steepening. I really like uh, the acquisition that they made last year, which was accretive to the balance sheet. The acquisition of BBVA, which really increased their um, their their geographical perspective in the Sun Belt, um, you know. So that was a nice acquisition. They're going to be buying back a lot of stock this year, which I think a lot of financials are going to be doing. So um, really like this is our favorite regional, and I think. They have continued tailwinds here, you know, here going into 2022. All right. Good stuff. Uh, in terms of sector, I, I know I just mentioned that you, you like energy and you told the viewers why you did. But uh, healthcare is your number one sector for 2022. Why? Yeah. So I think healthcare, just just from a defensive perspective, this this year is going to be volatile. I know there's going to be some volatility here. We're obviously already seeing it. You know, I think the return to elective surgeries, preventative care, um, you know, obviously are tailwinds for the sector. And I think they're going to benefit from that going into this year. And it's clearly it's obviously underperformed last year, but I think they've got a lot of tailwinds going forward for them, you know, and, and also from a demographic perspective and aging, uh, aging demographics. So I think health care will do well here. You know, Steph, I, I feel like we have a lot of people these days calling Chevron Jason's number one pick of best in breed. Right. And they like Mike Worth. Um, and I know you've owned the stock for a while. Yeah, it's a great company. What I've chosen to do is I am overweight in energy, but I've chosen a barbell approach. So Chevron is your quality play with a 4.2% yield. They're probably going to buy back as much as $8 billion by 2025 each year. I mean, and they're going to start at three to, f- three to $5 billion this year. I think that is upside to it. And so you have that as support. But they have got great assets. They're doing a great job in terms of M&A. I own Diamondback Energy. It's an E&P, a lot more volatility. But they're doing a great job in terms of growth. 
but also capital discipline. Um, and they're um, providing more buybacks and, and dividends and that sort of thing. And in Schlumberger, they're much levered to the oil price and activity. And they're a miniature technology company as they continue to acquire technology and margins have upside. So I like it, the, the sector, I like the call, but I, I like to diversify within the energy sector. Hey, Pete, how about the healthcare call? You like Jason's call? Yeah, absolutely I do. And I think he makes a lot of good points on the fact that, that going forward, it's not just going to be about what we've been going through the last couple of years, but all of the other surgeries and electives that, that are out there. So, yeah, I think healthcare makes a lot of sense. I have a lot of exposure there. Energy, as you know, was, uh, was my uh, sector pick as well. And I love what he's talking about with Chevron. Mm -hmm. This is a stock that I've owned. I don't know, you know how many years I've owned that one. But to, to Steph's point, I love having those beta names along with it, Scott, because when you've got three times beta in something like a Marathon or a Devon or or an Oxy or something like that, along with the Chevrons and Exxons, that really gives you a lot more play, I think, within the energy space. And I still think uh, oil's going to 100. Wow. Okay. We'll follow that. Uh, you got unusual activity after the break, Pete. Get ready for that. You're going to want to hear these two names Pete has. All right, Pete. I teased it. Unusual activity. You're up. What do you see today? Yeah. Got some good stuff. I will tell you this, Scott. What we have seen recently, starting yesterday in the afternoon or late morning into the afternoon and then starting out today as well, everything very, very, very short term. So people are not looking out very far at all. In these two unusuals, both of them expire on Friday, January 14th. So I'm going to start off with AMD. We got a buyer of 10,000 of the AMD 135 calls. They paid, they started paying $2. They paid up to about $250 for these. The problem right now, though, Scott, is the stock was $133 when this hit. I'm looking and the stock's already made a nice move to the upside. I think it's the last trading right around $137. But this is a stock we've seen a lot of different activity in the semiconductors. This one stood out for me. And the next one is Tesla. Now, Tesla is really interesting because it's the, the 1,100 strike calls that expire on Friday as well. Some huge buying in here. When you consider what the premiums are and you buy 20,000 of these calls from $9 up to $19, that's an amazing amount of money they're putting into this trade, expecting to see this stock make a nice move in the very, very short term. So that one definitely stood out. you got Goldman with the price target that they raised up there as well. There's a lot of different reasons why I think some of these names can work. But I'll tell you what, everything is very, very short term. I think it's a important to know that hard to look too far into the future given the market environment we're in pete i take yeah. your point uh yeah. for sure yeah. we'll come back with final trades next all right stephanie link final trades you're up first uh active i like the wind river deal best growth margins and free cash flow in the business okay thank you jason snipe healthcare xlv really like the pipelines for pharma names stay long all right, the sector for the summit, got that. Pete Nigerian. Sticking with energy, I'm going to give you XOM, ExxonMobil. I think it's going a lot higher with some call buying today. Okay, Josh Brown. Alphabet, like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Guys, it's been great. Keep your eye on interest rates. Dow right now is good for 77 points. NASDAQ's been on the run. There it is, higher by 150 points. That does it for us. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.